Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everybody and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, the Mason Avenue's Mindly Podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Ken Levin and Thomas Henderson this week. Lucas is uh, feeling the effects of the coronavirus vaccine, so no bueno, but also bueno. Either case, how are you guys doing? Good, good. I'm doing well. All right, so let's... Uh, start promote extend trade and in the last couple of months really the last couple of weeks kind of uh baseball's lost a lot of greats and hall of famers and this past week we lost another one maybe one of the greatest players in the game itself hank aaron obviously hank aaron uh was the all-time home run king till barry bonds in in 2007 and he's associated mostly with home runs so, what famous Mets home runs are we going to promote, extend, or trade? And I wanted to keep this regular season only, so things like the Grand Slam single, David Wright's World Series home run, those are not going to be eligible. And I also kind of wanted to keep things a little more uh, even, I guess, so nothing really super iconic. I wanted to kind of keep things on a level playing field here. Uh, so, the first home run that we have is is uh, Tommy Agee's 480-foot homer into the Shea Stadium upper deck in 1969. Next, we have Daryl Strawberry's 300-foot homer off the roof at Atlantic, uh, not Atlantic, at Olympic Stadium in Montreal in 1988. And last, we have Mo Vaughn's 505-foot homer off the Budweiser sign on the Shea Stadium scoreboard in 2002. I got to pick Mo Vaughn to extend. <laughs> me. Me too. Always pick Mo Vaughn when you have the opportunity. For the sole reason that that's the only one of those I, I witnessed. Or, <laughs> you know. Well, yes, there is that. I it's think. just like, it's such a funny home run. Like, it's it's a bomb. But also, yes. like, it hitting the scoreboard. Yeah, he had, he had power. <laughs> it's just hitting the scoreboard and it just kind of, like, falling down slowly on it because, like, <laughs> it hit a scoreboard. It's so great. Like, the aesthetics of it are great. Yeah, pretty fantastic. That's what happened with Strawberry's Homer. It it technically only went like 300 feet because it literally hit the roof. I mean, if you 
the 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 if you did like the tangent lines, whatever all that, you know, whatever the math to figure it out, it would have gone definitely like five hundred plus. But it didn't. It only went three hundred, poor guy. <laughs> Wasn't that opening day too? Like welcome to the new season. Here's a home run off the top of a roof. I'm not sure, but yeah, that would make an emphatic statement. Too bad the 1988 Mets didn't really. They should have, but. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Man, that 1980, late 80s team would have. In yeah. the current playoff format. Yeah. Yeah. They got <laughs> yep. screwed by where, who they had to play. By time. Yep. I, I think the worst of those teams was like, what, uh, whichever one it was, where they won like 88 games at their worst, whatever. Wasn't now that like '87 like where they were kind of like on a on a World Series hangover, like the upswing, yeah. <laughs> literal hangover? No, I mean, yeah, <laughs> knowing that team, it was an actual hangover. Whichever, whatever the case was, though. Like, I mean, now we look at an eight. Now we look at like high '80s win total, and we're just like, hell yeah. Then yeah. it was just like late. Then it was like high eighties. No thanks, losers. That's just like congrats on second place. We'll yeah. see at the winter meetings, which is wild to think about how hard it was to make the playoffs, even as close as nineteen eighty eight or eighty nine, mm. even closer than that. Somewhat related, tangentially related. Um, when I was first thinking of like what I could do with Hank Aaron, and I was just looking at his Baseball Reference like page. Speaking of how it's like crazy that like those night those late '80s Mets really didn't achieve too much. If you look at Hank Aaron's baseball reference page, and you look at like the fact that he only won somehow one MVP award, despite yeah, crazy. perennially almost his entire career, basically over 300 hitter, he averaged like 35, 40 home runs a year practically. Just some of the other guys that he played with at that time, you know, it's just yeah. like, geez, poor yeah. guy. Like, so I, I I didn't look at Hank Aaron's baseball reference page a lot <clears throat> until this week because obviously it was all over Twitter because that's what happens. You you celebrate the guy. He was underrated. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Like, I didn't realize. Like, I knew how good he was. But when you look at the baseball reference page, you're like, oh my, what? <laughs> Why doesn't he, he should be like, he's on the top, like the Mount Rushmore of baseball players for the home run championship and for like how, how scary it was for him to go through that because of how racist the country was. Well, it still is racist, but especially at the time, it was very like the stories that you've heard about the, the newspaper editors getting death um, threats and him himself getting them. But like when you, when you really look at how good he was otherwise, like he was just maybe the best player in the game. Yeah, on one of the of most well-rounded yeah. players to ever play. Like my favorite thing about Hank Aaron is if you take away all of his home runs, his then record home runs, he still has 3,000 hits. It's mm-hmm. that's great. Like, like he, that's absurd to think about. <laughs> yeah. Easily one of the top five players of all time, and people kind of just talk about him for hitting homers. Which, of course, the homers are a huge deal, but he was a lot more than that, too. I mean, arguably, you have Bonds. In, well, not really arguably, but you have Bonds in front of him, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays. I guess that's where you could start with the argument. Yeah, after, he, he could be, like, within the top four baseball players of all time in terms of impact and everything else. <laughs> when the argument is, okay... How much better or worse were you than Willie Mays? Then I guess you've, you know. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> Not a bad uh, starting point. All right. Uh, so let's start off with some roster news this week. <clears throat> and early last week, uh, the Mets were involved in a three-team trade that basically translated to the Mets sending catching prospect Eni Rodriguez to the Padres in exchange for left-handed pitcher Joey Lucchese. Um Not exactly a blockbuster trade, but uh, I'm pretty sure on the show last week, I, I asked the Mets if they could stop with all these trades since we published our, our prospect list and they <laughs> clearly didn't. So I would like to file a formal complaint, but that's uh, 
I, I guess there's nobody to file a complaint with right now, unfortunately. But uh, Rodriguez, he was our 23rd top prospect on the top 25 list this year. We discussed him a couple of weeks ago, his career, his potential future. Very young, very inexperienced, but solid hit tool for a catcher, which you'd like to see. Very athletic, which is atypical for a catcher. Um, athletic enough to the point that he got time in the outfield and, and could see, can, could conceivably play there. So that's kind of cool. But, you know, uh, basically he was just an intriguing guy based on potential and 90% of guys like that, they don't make it. Joey Lucchese, on the other hand, he made it. Um, he was a college senior signing in the fourth round of the, 2016 draft, spent a couple of years in the Padres system before making his MLB debut in 2018. And since then, he's been roughly a league average pitcher in basically the two uh, seasons that he had to spot in the San Diego rotation. Not really sure what happened last year. Basically, the Padres just kind of gave up on him completely. But assuming those bad five innings in 2020 that he pitched are an outlier and not the new normal, their loss is our gain here because mm-hmm. very solid move. Can't complain. One of my least favorite things about the recent Mets era is like the very clearly not major league starters who they've had to trot out over the years because of injuries. Very frustrating. Like, like they, they just never seem to, to learn that you need like seven or eight starters, even if some of them have to start in Syracuse. And this is the exact type of move that doesn't let that happen. Like, even if Matt beats him for the fifth guy or, or for the fifth rotation spotter, they get more starters or whatever the case may be. Um, I would rather him pitch for three weeks in August than, like, Corey Oswald or something. You know? Like, <laughs> so that's that's really where I'm at with it. And maybe he surprises us and makes the team outright out of camp because that's possible. He was a major league starter for two years for – and a solid one at that, like nothing spectacular, but he also throws a curve. So what else, what, what more could you hate? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, overall, the numbers were fine. I mean, you know, he, he's supposed to be the Mets fifth starter or, or even less than that. So I will take like a four ERA at a, out of a guy like that with pretty solid peripherals. I think for his career, which his career is like 50 starts, give or take. But I think for his career, he has like a 3.0 walk per nine and like an eight, you know, strikeout per nine. I'll take that. At the very least, he's like insurance against um, David Peterson, you know, not being good at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you want like multiple of that guy if you're not comfortable with any one of them, um, you know, being the man. <laughs> and we I always... wonder if he could pitch out of the bullpen too. Yeah. But... That's a whole nother can of worms. And I don't know if you want to. I, I think Peterson definitely could. Yeah. Um, I've always thought that he might, you know, maybe he gets an extra mile per hour or two on the fastball, and then the slider is a good pitch um, from a tough arm slot. Like, I don't know about Lucchese, but Lucchese? Lucchese? I think Lucchese. it's Lucchese. Gotcha. Um, I don't know how he would translate just because I'm, I'm not particularly or as familiar with him as I am with Peterson, but uh, – you know, it could be the same deal. Um, you you would, would rather have two of them than have to rely on one, you know? I guess is the, the sum of what I'm trying to say. He's a no, fun guy sure. to he's a fun guy to watch because the mechanics are all kinds of yeah, all over the place. Super goofy. Now and, yeah. and very funky. Super goofy. That's why I actually looked to see what his like walk numbers were, and surprisingly it's not that bad. Like I said, three per nine, give or take whatever it is, which is for the amount of, of herking and jerking and driving yeah. that he does, I'll take. I would think point. he has no idea where the ball's going. Yeah. <laughs> but it works, and he is a Mets pitcher for the foreseeable future because I think also he has like two more option years left. He's, or three, and whatever. he's not even in ARB yet. Like, yeah, so. he's, in, he's in ARB next year. Yeah, I think, these so. these are the kinds of guys I'm, I'm perfectly fine acquiring. Mm-hmm. Like he he has he's gonna make he's gonna be a mainstay on as a swing guy on the Mets for a few years now, assuming he just doesn't get totally bombed. But like that's the type of depth that good teams have because you need a guy who won't get who won't lose you a game when people are hurt 
or a guy who just beats everyone out, like I said before. And they, with with his acquisition, they cornered the market on the very important Italian American uh, <laughs> fan, you know, demographic. All right, exactly. um, yeah. One more piece of roster news, and this one is kind of back of house, um, not on the field. The Mets replaced Jared Banner. He's with the Cubs now. And they hired Kevin Howard as their executive director of player development. Uh, sounds very boring, <laughs> obviously, but, you know, first question is what exactly does that guy do? And I was looking up some stuff about Banner, and I actually found a really good quote from him about what the job that he had was. So uh, according to Jared Banner, quote, I look to find innovative and creative ways to help our players get better from the time they sign with us until they reach the major leagues. Very simple, very concise. That is what the director of player development does on the, you know, I think it's more interesting on the macroscopic level. Um, you know, they, they deal with the development of baseball skills and baseball tools, and they work with everybody to kind of develop organizational strategies like, you know, the throw curveballs instead of sliders or, you know, focus on drawing walks, even if, you know, your strikeout uh, numbers go up, that kind of stuff. And that that's the kind of stuff that differs from team to team, organization to organization. And it's it's cool when you see like a player come from some other team and the Mets or, you know, whatever other team that this player goes to is able to kind of blossom in a new organization because their um, their strategies are, you know, just mesh better with, you know, what that player brings. Um, a good example, I guess, was um, Blake Taylor going to the Astros. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he, he was able to bloom there, whereas with the Mets, he, he was never bad per se, but, you know, things just worked out for him better there. The hope is um, that the Mets are now a team that does that in reverse. Yes. The Mets want to be a place where, you know, give us all your undervalued assets and we'll turn them into superstars. Yeah, where you get Joey Lucchese to go back to our previous conversation and make him better than he was. And then, mm-hmm. bam, it looks great, you know? Yep. Instead of trading good players for good prospects for nothing and then looking stupid. Mm-hmm. Which happens nice a lot, change. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it happened a bit too much, so. So on the on the microscopic level, the head of player development, they kind of do things that we talk about a lot on the show. They monitor and and develop nutritional plans and sleeping, you know, plans and mental health things and physical health things, all that kind of stuff. And as we've seen with Dom Smith, you know, he basically went from a low power first baseman who the bat speed even looked like it was slowing to a well above average, mm-hmm. you know, hitter for for average and for power. Basically, because he got better medical care and better access to nutritional guidance and all that kind of stuff. So, I'm, uh, you know, hoping that, especially now with a new owner and a uh, new infusion of money into the team, that would be nice that these kinds of things can be focused on at a lower level than just the majors. Yeah. That's that's a that's a place where the money could be spent that we don't see it in terms of the luxury tax and payroll itself that is just as helpful to mm-hmm. signing the the Francisco Lindor extension and making sure that your minor leaguers are taken care of because then they're in they're better. They it's just a it's a competitive advantage to take care of your players, which ah, shocking, but <laughs> no team really wants to pay for that. So which is why we have the fight with the why why minor leaguers want to really are pushing for better stuff because they need it and um, hopefully the Mets can be one of the teams that actually do that and spend their money in that way. Yeah, and and Howard was a player himself, so mm-hmm. maybe having having gone through the whole uh, grind, you know, he he knows and will be able to kind of ha- have a better perspective than you know, some suit out of Harvard. And um, Cleveland is pretty good with that stuff, right? Like, 
that's where he comes from. And yeah, he is from Cleveland, correct? So like, I wonder if that's one of those things where the Mets are, are see a team that is more advanced. Well, pretty much all of them are, but see a team that's like better with that stuff than they are, and they're saying, "Come here and help, like push us in the right direction in terms of what we should be doing." Well, they developed Francisco Lindor, so exactly they did. <laughs> Let's just take everything we can from that organization. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> Simply get Jose Ramirez next. <laughs> that works. Uh, back when he was a player, though, Howard went to um, the University of Miami, and he was actually a really big-time player. Um, three years at Miami, he hit 369, 444, 557. He won Baseball America's Freshman of the Year Award in 2000, won a bunch of other awards, and then when he was eligible to be drafted, he was selected in the fifth round by the Cincinnati Reds. And not really sure why those numbers and, and his stuff just didn't really translate to organized baseball. But he basically spent the next decade just kind of bouncing around the minors, playing for the Yankees, Dodgers, Phillies, Mariners, Padres, Cardinals, Blue Jays. He reached as high as AAA, but he never really got a sniff at Major League Baseball I guess just because his kind of skill set was just very generic and fungible to other teams and they had, you know, other options to go with. But basically he played until 2014. The last two years they were in the Indies and then he started coaching. Um, he coached for Barry University, which is a, a small, uh, division school, uh, division two school in Miami. And later that year, in 2015, he was hired by the Cleveland Indians, and they made him the hitting coach of the Mahoning Valley Scrappers, which is their short A team. Then he was moved up to the high A Lake County Captains in 2016, the low A Lynchburg uh, Hillcats in 2017, the Akron Rubber Ducks in 2018, and then in 2019 and last season, he was the Cleveland Indians hitting coordinator. So he basically was like uh, the liaison between all those other hitting coaches and the players and then the executives. And just basically worked to uh, make everybody the best hitters that they could be. So I'm interested in, in seeing if all of the success th that the Mets have had in the last five, ten years or so, whatever it's been, with pitchers will continue. Because Howard does not have any pitching experience. Jared Banner, he was a player development guy from the beginning mm -hmm. and a scout. So he kind of, maybe not expertise in that area, but he did know what was going on. Whereas Howard, you know, I'm sure he kind of has a clue, but that's not really his thing. And with all the turnover in the Mets, uh, scouting departments, analytic departments, just the front office as a whole. You know, I wonder what the state of, you know, pitching, coaching is going to be in the system going forward. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it, well, it, they've already hired a few new guys, right? They, yeah. Like, they hired Carter Capps. Um, yes, from Driver, mm -hmm. I think. So it's interesting that they've fleshed out kind of both sides now. It's it's just hires that, that normal smart teams would make, not like exactly. weird stuff the Mets used to do. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I will say I like Banner a lot more over Howard is that Banner, you know, he's from New York and he was a Mets fan, so obviously yeah, that, that, was cool. that gave him an edge. But, yeah, overall I don't have too many strong opinions about uh, Kevin Howard. Hopefully he does – well, not hopefully. Well, you know, yes, hopefully <laughs> he does uh, an excellent job and – and, and the, the Mets system churns out players like never before, and they all develop into superstars, and we have the next Hank Aaron in the system. That'd be dope. Yep. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. All right. So we are back at our top prospect list, plugging away, covering and highlighting all those guys that we selected on our 2021 top 25 prospect list. So to recap, three weeks ago, we went over 25 to 21, right-handed relief O'Reilly Gilliam, right-handed starter Jordan Ventura, catcher Andy Rodriguez, and outfielder Stanley Consuegra and Adrian Hernandez. Last week, we recapped 20 to 16, right-handed pitcher Sam McWilliams and Dyson Acosta, outfielder Alexander Ramirez, and right-handed pitchers Robert Dominguez and Harold Gonzalez. So this week, we are going to do 15 to 11, and we're going to kick things off with number 15, right-handed pitcher Junior Santos. Um, he is he's a big guy. He's 6'8", 220, so he is certainly no junior, and I'm sure that when and if he makes the, the major league team, the back uh, page writers will have lots of fun with that. But uh, he was signed as a IFA in 2018 on July 2nd, as opposed to January 15th now. So he was a kind of big signing, got $275,000. Um, and the Mets kind of pushed him hard, and he made his uh, stateside debut at the end of that season. And then he basically uh, pitched for Kingsport all of 2019. And it kind of was a mixed bag. Um, 590 ERA is eh. The peripherals are eh. But at that level, you're not really caring about, you know, the, the cold, hard numbers really that much. And the big thing for Santos is that his fastball, which got rave reviews when he was signed, actually was even better than advertised, which for me was really fun to see when I when I went to Kingsport and saw him. Basically, all the reports were like he kind of sat, you know, low to mid 90s. And when I saw him, he was hitting like 96, 97, 98, which is like okay, that's, that's unexpected and nice yeah. to see. So, one of you know a handful of guys that actually have a solid fastball in this uh, system. And then is it, is of, it the best fastball? No, it's probably like Matthew Allen probably has that. But uh, uh, you can. It's, pro- it's probably closer to the top than we would like to think. I mean, guys that have the up the, the the potential to hit triple digits, Santos, Otanias, and I feel like maybe one or two. Jose Moreno used to, but when I saw him in Colombia last year, he was not. Uh, then you get straight to the the um, IFA guys. Yeah, uh, like the really young kids. Right, Dominguez, he could. I'd say, are we defining best fastball as just fastest? or Because Allen's in the conversation if it's, like, best overall. Yeah, I, right. I mean, like, overall, like, not speed-wise. Not hardest fastball. Right, I mean, Santos, his, his walk rate was not particularly great. Whereas Allen, he has the yeah. ability to uh, command the pitch. Command so. it, it, you know, moves a bit. I would say, yeah, I guess Allen has the best fastball in the system overall when you take into account everything that would go into having an effective pitch. Yeah, I got you. But, yeah, there's plenty to uh, dream about with Santos, so hopefully he realizes some of that potential. He's young and projectable. And he already throws hard, so those are three things that you like to see. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's tall. Also a good thing. Yeah, that helps. All right, next up at number 14 is Freddy Valdez. And he was uh, signed in actually the, the same IFA class as as uh, Junior Santos. He was kind of the one of the, the keynote players of that. The Mets picked him for $1.4 million. Um, he spent most of the, the his first year in the DSL and then got sent stateside like um, 
Santos. Um, and Valdez is just a, a real physical looking kid. He's six foot three, two hundred ten pounds, so he's a big, strong, thick kid, and he's got lots of power. It's above average raw power. Uh, still kind of learning, so it it hasn't really translated too well in game, but it is there, and you just kind of have to work and coach him to kind of tap into that better. But power is a tool that cannot be taught, so it's good that he has you know that that batting practice power for for now. Um, in the outfield, he's kind of okay. Um, you know, once he gets going, he's he's a fine outfielder. He can cover a lot of ground, but he just kind of has to get going first. Um, arm, arm is above average, so that's good. Probably is um, a right fielder because of that. But we'll see. Um, an exciting kid, and, and you know, similar to Santos, there's projectability. There's things you like to see, so mm-hmm. it is what it is right now. It is what it is right now, the meth system. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's that's basically everyone we described so far. Like, obviously, once we get into the top ten, there's a lot more stuff for us to... A lot more actual debates we could get into. But, like, right now, it's just he has power and he's young and you can see him flying up the board. Um, number three... Uh, number three. Number 13 is... Well, a guy that is no longer in the system, Isaiah Green. But since we published our list before the Francisco Lindor trade, he is set in stone as our number 13 (laughs) prospect. So what can you do? Should we take this opportunity to thank Isaiah Green for for helping to get us Francisco Lindor? Of course. uh, Uh, Thank you, Isaiah. We we all appreciate it. (laughs) Absolutely. So go, for, go ball out in Cleveland. For all of the um, Cleveland Indian fans who just happen to be listening to this very obscure Mets <laughs> <Yeah>. minor league <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Which um, one of our moms is an Indians fan? <laughs> um, yeah, there is a, a pretty high ceiling for Green. He was drafted in the second compensation round of the 2020 draft and signed for uh, $850,000 which is a little bit below slide value, but he has a smooth left-handed swing. Um, There's a lot of power in there. If he can, you know, similar to Valdez, if he can learn how to manifest the power and hit for a solid average, you know, you got, you got the potential for a very, very advanced hitter in there. Yeah. And, um, I guess what sets Green apart from a lot of other young outfielders is that he's, you know, pretty solid as a center fielder. A lot of times, you know, just because guys are very young and inexperienced, you know, they can be okay fielders, but there's, you know, got to work on their roots and, and, or they're not speedy enough or athletic yet, whatever the case may be. But he's pretty, he's pretty good as an, as a center fielder. Um, he does need to do all those things. You know, he does need to get better seeing the bat off the ball off the bat and just taking more efficient routes. But that's stuff that comes with experience. And, you know, he has a ton of speed. He's a, he's a plus speed guy. So, you know, you just hoof it to the ball and hope <laughs> for the best. I think and, there's a good chance of him being a very good defender. Yeah, I mean... I don't exactly remember what we were talking about in context, but I remember last week we were saying how, you know, like you pay for floor with certain things and he, because of his skill set, he does have a high floor. Oh yeah. That's, it's, it's, I know what the, what Cleveland was going for with the guys that they got. I mean, I, in my opinion, they sold a little low on the best shortstop in the game, but like a guy like Green could pop once it, like once he figures out hitting, if he ever figures out hitting, like completely, he'll he'll be a very good player. Like because he already everything else is there. Like he he's fast enough to play center field, and that just will make his reads better and make everything better. And then I already like his. He's like a line drive hitter. If he develops more power, it's there. 
I liked Green, but I'll trade him for Francisco Lindor. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he could always he could always stall out in his development, never make it. Whereas the Mets have Francisco Lindor, exactly. Oh, sure. I mean, like, I mean, as I'm reading it, the first thing that popped into my head was Champ Stewart, Champ Stewart, Champ Stewart, and he obviously did not uh, <laughs> develop very far. So. Um, speaking of a guy who we're hoping will develop, let's get to number 12. And I wish Lucas was here this week because I think he has more strong opinion on this player more than anyone else. And that is Shervian Newton coming in at number 12. And he was signed as an IFA in 2015 on July 2nd. And that was the year that they basically gave all their money to Andres Jimenez and Gregory Guerrero. And then the next largest bonus that they gave to anybody was $50,000, and that was to Newton. And that did work out pretty well, because at the end of the day, even if he never really um, develops, even if he never makes that of low able, he still was a top prospect in the system. So that's pretty good for an investment of $50,000. But um, he kicked around the DSL for a little bit, and he really got some attention in 2018 when he was playing with Kingsport and you know he really put up good numbers um 2019 he was sent to Columbia and everyone was crossing their fingers and hoping that okay this guy if this guy has a breakout he might be the next big Mets prospect and instead the opposite happened he had a shoulder injury and then when he finally got back on the field he just was was terrible you know he looked overmatched and just not what you want to see. Yeah. And in 109 games, he hit 209, 283, 330. So he didn't hit for average. He wasn't getting on base. He wasn't hitting for power. It was just nothing. The one good thing I guess you could say about that year was that his defense still looked all right. And he was playing a lot of second base uh, because of the fact that Mark Vientos was playing third and Ronnie Mauricio was playing short and both of those guys, um, take precedence over Newton. But, you know, he has a, he has a, a shortstop skill set. You know, he's very quick, quick, twitch, fast, uh, really good arm, solid range. So he was kind of, you know, shifted over because of Mauricio, shifted over because of Vientos. He he kind of made second base his. So it's good to see that, um, you know, he can basically handle the entire infield. It's just a good uh, lesson, um, you know, I guess, to to have learned good experience for him, whatever the whatever the word is, you know. Um. And in theory, he could also play the outfield. It's not something that they did, but I think he might be able to. Versatility is always good, especially in, in you know, young, homegrown players. Mm-hmm. So. You always need people to play different positions. See Jeff McNeil being able to play everywhere. Yep. Very good point. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see if he ends up like a post-hype guy. Because now he's even further away from the from the shoulder injury. Hopefully, like I don't want to say hopefully that was what was keeping him down, but like it could have been residual effects from a shoulder because you know how those mess you up. Like that's a tough one for a yeah. hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully it's just now he's it's been a while since that because of everything because of COVID and everything else. So hopefully he's just healthier, and then he kind of reminds everyone why he was a prospect in the first place. He's crossing our fingers. How old is he now? Uh, he's going to be turning 22 at the beginning of next season. Okay. I mean, he's not, like, young, young for a prospect, but he's not ancient either. So no. there's plenty of time for him to, like, figure stuff out still. And also the whole thing with age and level, we kind of need to readjust our expectations because now that there's only four levels, well, five technically, but four full, you know, levels... A lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. Things are going to be next year is going to be a big learning experience. <laughs> yeah, I've legitimately no idea what to expect. 
it's going to it's going to be super interesting for the next few years to see how development works mm-hmm. and how aggressive teams are because they're going to have to you're going to have to make big jumps with your prospects otherwise you leave them stagnant in a place for too long. Yeah, I mean, people hopefully smarter than me over the next couple of years once some of these players start hitting the actual majors will be able to I don't know, look at the the bigger scale and kind of figure out like how how badly is major league baseball bungling the game itself by just kind of chopping the minor leagues, you know, like offense will will go down or or pitching will go down or whatever the case will be, but it'll be interesting to see the long term effects of this. Yeah. All right, and now our final guy that we'll discuss this week at number 11 <clears throat> is Thomas Zapucky, and he was... We're going to spend, was, like, half hour on him. <laughs> yeah, he was drafted in the fifth round of the 2015 draft. Um, didn't really make too big of an impression that year, but he really burst on the scene in 2016. Um, he carved up uh, the Appalachian League and New York Penn League, Kingsport and Brooklyn, and then started 2017 all right, but then had Tommy John surgery and then had some setbacks, but finally was on the field in uh, 2019, technically last season. And it was kind of, I don't know, touch and go for sometimes. <laughs> he started out the year not looking that great. He kind of hit his streak. They gave him about a month off or so. And when he got back on the field in, in the middle of May or beginning of June, whenever it was, he looked a lot better. And the numbers as a whole were fine. Uh, 263 ERA in 61 and two-thirds innings with, you know, a, a strikeout rate above nine. So that's good. But more more better. But better than, uh, you know, the numbers is the fact that the stuff progressively looked better and better as the year went on. Um Towards the beginning, when he was pitching that that April, um, fastball was like high 80s, which very scary for any pitcher, but especially for a guy coming back from like a two-year layoff because of Tommy John. But it eventually kind of came back. When I saw him in Columbia, it was sitting like 91 to 94 or so. And then even later on in the year when he was pitching in Binghamton, their guns on the broadcast and stuff were saying he was touching 95, 96. So that's that's what you want to see is is the eventual return of what was missing from surgery. Um, the secondary stuff, you know, that that takes longer. When I saw him last year, everything just didn't look as crisp as it was. His curveball and his his changeup would actually um, was was becoming an okay pitch before he, he went down to injury. But those things, you know, they just kind of looked very blah. Last year would have been nice to see how those things came back. But um, obviously there wasn't a season. And then in um, in the alternate side of Coney Island and Fallen Shucks, reports were that everything was bad again. Like he was, you know, throwing flat curve balls and firm changes and the fastball was back to the high eighties. So don't really know what to make of all that because of the context, you know, Um, is he just like a guy that needs like a lot of innings now to like get his, his ligaments fully warmed up? Like uh, uh, maybe is that is that possible to do given the the current climate? <laughs> yeah, I mean, was he got you know earlier in his career when he was first drafted, he had some um, what's a good word? Not behavioral issues, m- maturity issues and and um, uh, nutrition issues, and he kind of got that hammered out, and that's when he became like a big phenom in 2016. So. You know, does he need to just work on his conditioning and and all that kind of stuff again? And if he does, will the fastball and everything like that come back? Don't know. A lot of questions and no real answers. He's a weird one. Like, I just don't... 
I don't know what to think about him. Like, for all the stuff you were saying, I guess trying to make him a reliever and see if he could just pop in the bullpen. But because he's also, like, 25, I think. So, like, the clock's kind of ticking on him. We kind of got to get him up to the as soon as possible here. And Also, another thing to keep in mind here is um, the reports that we got about him. Um... It's 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 not like, you know, we have a big report like so-and-so went down to Coney Island and saw Thomas Apucky and here's... Yeah, it's all saw. secondhand. It's all secondhand. We don't know, you know, was it a rainy, crappy day? Because, you know, you're from Brooklyn, you know, like the beach over there, if it's a kind of crappy day, it's like not great. <laughs> not Not the best weather to be playing baseball in. Was it just one bad look? Did this whoever saw him was it multiple looks because I know uh, for example when I saw Bryce Hutchinson when I went to Columbia last year uh, two two years ago the first night that I saw him it was kind of wet rainy day and his fastball was like 88 89 out of the bullpen I'm just kind of like oh this is not good and then when I saw him at the end of that week again when he was making a start he was hitting 91 92 93 very different so was it just one bad look that is an outlier ultimately again we have no we have no answers but you know uh, it's it's not necessarily information to just be completely discarded no you know somebody saw it and somebody you know felt uh, enough about it to then let other people know and, and blah 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 but it's just something to keep in mind yeah, like it's he he's gonna be one of the dudes that I'm very interested in seeing pitch next year in this upcoming season, just because he could maybe be like if he is fine, then he can maybe be like a fake bullpen option for a few weeks, or you might be talking about him as a he's done here type of guy, and it's time to just forget about him, you know? Like I don't want to say this is his make or break season, but it's getting up there. I mean, it, it kind of is. He's a little on the old. Um, how old is he? I, I think he's in the mid twenties, like twenty five. That's like the in my head. That's what I remember him as. Yes, he is uh, twenty four and will be turning twenty five in June. Okay, so, so it's yeah, it is on the older side for a quote unquote prospect, especially one that hasn't been um. Doesn't have uh, a lot of playing time under his belt. Exactly. He's missed yep. so much time because of injuries. They kind of got to fast track him here, which is why I would put him in the bullpen and I would just be like, go all out. Yeah. I, I think it's safe to say that the starter dream with him is probably, yeah. probably yeah. done. Uh, he, he, he might be able, he should be able to be a starter, but it's one of those things where it's just like, He's more valuable as a reliever to the team, to the organization, to himself, than just kind of being an, an eh starter, you know? Like an organizational depth starter? Yeah. Right, 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 right. I feel that for a while now, it's been our policy that Thomas Apucky is going to be the next Andrew Miller, so we will continue <laughs> that. Look, <laughs> I mean... I can dream, can't I? Yeah. Sign me up for that. And and let's say they do put him in. I mean, he has been starting this whole time, basically. So they would have to decide to make him a reliever. Who would he be competing with as the left-hander out of the bullpen right now? I mean, there is the whole Stephen Matz, David Peterson, Joey Lucchese situation to figure out. Someone is going to get, you know, so, someone is not making the rotation. And whether or not they remain a starter and get sent to Syracuse or they go to the bullpen, I don't know. But... What other guys in the Mets have that are left-handers? Hopefully Brad Hand in a few hours, but mm. <laughs> like to to let everyone know that we record the <laughs> Brad Hand hasn't signed anywhere yet. Spoiler alert for the for when we record these, but um, Jerry like, Blevins, he's left-handed, right? Yeah. All right. Oh, Jerry! But, I forgot Jerry was back. Yeah. But, like, yeah, they they don't have many lefties. And, sure, the three-batter minimum kind of doesn't make loogies mean anything, but also you shouldn't have no lefties. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. 
that you yeah, just need lefties happen, to be able. To, you know? Yeah, you just need lefties to be able to cross over, and a former starter should be able to have some crossover bullpen potential. You would think, anyway. Well, we will see. And now to wrap things up, the Will Pinery of the week. And this week's Will Pinery goes to the Trump administration, which makes sense, I guess, when you think about it, because asshole millionaires from Queens who make <laughs> their money in real estate and scams, they probably share a lot of the same thought processes and DNA and everything. They like probably that. share a lot of the same friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> But uh, according to some CNN reporting, uh, the Trump administration basically had no mechanism or plan to start distributing the coronavirus vaccine. And uh, according to an anonymous official, quote, there's nothing for us to rework. <laughs> We're going to have to build everything from scratch. If and that's not the minor league system. Exactly. Thomas, <laughs> brought this, Thomas brought this to my attention, and it is basically about the Mets minor league system. We had to build everything from scratch. Too bad with Mets's uh, need for a center fielder. Too bad that they don't have any all-star potential center fielders in the system who yeah, are I mean, need to be. You just—they're so hard to draft, and the Mets <laughs> have not been in position to do so ever. No. Don't don't fact check me, but um, I mean it's it's a good thing they signed Edwin Diaz to that minimum contract. Right? <laughs> right around when he was hitting ARB. <laughs> when you have the opportunity to sign outfielders from Wisconsin, don't because, you know, it's Wisconsin. Cold so. weather. Exactly. exactly. Cold weather prep bats, get nope. them out of here. <laughs> okay. Well, if anybody has any questions, comments, whatever, you could follow us on. Well, no. First, you could send us an email if you are. So choosing to do that, it is from complexthequeens at gmail.com. But should you choose not to do that, then you could follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvlahus343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMethSeason, S-Z-N. And uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get a podcast from. Rate and review it. And, of course, thanks for listening. And we will be back next week to talk about uh, our top prospect list. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.